So I hope everybody had a good week. And Suzanne, you doing all right out there on the farm? Yeah. Yeah. You're not one to complain, so that's good. My uh, my grandma was that way. She bless her heart. She'd get out and chore with my grandpa, and she'd get out and open the gates and get her coveralls on. And she was, you know, 100 pounds soaking wet. Just a little woman, and uh, anyway, she would just never complain. She might get sick, and she's just tough, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so look at your handout first. Let's let's go there. <coughs> we were introduced to a new guy named Bill Dad, and so I, I I got you a little scouting report on Bill Dad, and I had to make this like ten point font to get it all on the handout because I kind of added this little section on Bill Dad. But uh, anyway, got got it all on. I hate to give out more than one page. I feel like Jim Stovall if I if I give out six or eight pages. <laughs> I, I'll try you doing it. <laughs> well, I don't see how you you get so much on there. But uh, so this guy, uh, we we kind of made some distinctions with these men, and and this guy he kind of focuses on tradition, and so I wanted to talk about that a little bit. So that that's why it goes in your first blank there. And I, I gave you a couple quotes at the head of your handout. Uh, I'm trying to get uh, just some different quotes on suffering. I gave you a couple today. Uh, Job is obviously known for his patience and his suffering. I don't want to <coughs> cough in the microphone, but uh, our thesis has been for this class just that you know we can trust God even when suffering. And I need to hear that. And uh, we all need to hear that because we all do suffer to some degree. And uh, Job is one that he, he is quoted as saying, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. In Job 13:15. And so even up to death, Job is going to trust the Lord uh, regardless of his suffering. And then this guy named Tim Keller, he has both of these quotes. The God of the Bible takes our misery and suffering so seriously that he was willing to take it on himself. And so that's a reference to Christ, his suffering for us in our stead. And he also says, suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. And uh, we, we know that Job had some doubts, and he cried out uh, many times in this book uh, before he does hear from God. Uh, but in, I think it's chapter 36 or 38, where God does speak. But uh, let, let's think about Bildad here for a minute. And I gave you these four levels of belief, and I, I won't put them on the board. I was going to, but uh, when you think of like the highest level of belief is doctrine, just because you can find a chapter and verse, and that's something we all should be able to agree on is doctrine. If if the Bible says this uh, plainly, and I put as examples lying and stealing. I mean, lying is the uh, ninth commandment: "Thou shalt not bear false witness." And uh, those are things that God hates. And uh, stealing, I think that is the eighth commandment. Thou shalt not steal. And so we can find chapter and verse where we should not do those things. And uh, we can even find where Jesus is God. Several times in the Bible, uh, Jesus is equated with God. And so these are doctrines, right? Is everybody on track with me? And you could probably find other examples. Uh, I mean, we we have a whole class in the Bible Institute called uh, Systematic Theology. And and they go through different uh, angelology, the doctrine of angels and soteriology. That's the doctrine of salvation, I believe. And I think anthrop... Huh? Eschatology. Eschatology, the study of end times. And uh, anyway, these these are all doctrines, and and the next level is really conviction. And you may have a conviction about these things. And I I listed gambling and smoking, and uh, I don't know what your thoughts are about those. Uh, 
there's not really a verse that says thou shalt not gamble or thou shalt not smoke, but uh, they're based on uh, chapter and verse. You, you can fi- find that we should not uh, make haste to become rich. Uh, that would speak to gambling or riches make themselves wings. And, and so we could look at uh, a lot of different areas maybe and see uh, examples of that. Amen. <clears throat> Grab a hand out there if you would, guys. <clears throat> Grab one of those pieces of paper for uh, what we're studying. Uh, so we're just studying at levels of belief. And uh, I'll go ahead and put these up here. Yeah, come on up and sit down, Chuck. Welcome, brother. I know that. I'm just trying to test you. And even so, these are different levels of belief that we're studying. It's on the front page of your handout there. That uh, I mean, we all have different convictions about different things, maybe. Uh, and when you think about smoking, like smoking cigarettes, you know it's legal, but it is is it good for you? And uh, one, one example I have about uh, smoking, you know, it might be a conviction that it's wrong, is what we're saying. There's not maybe a doctrine that says the Bible says thou shalt not smoke, but it is a conviction. Uh, and you might use like First Corinthians six nineteen. Which says, "What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have, and ye are not your own, for you are bought with a price." I'm messing that up a little bit. But if our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, you know, smoking is not good for us, and it's become uh, a lot less popular. But it was really popular when we were kids, and people. Would, my brother used to hide his cigarettes and. And so it was very popular even when I was a kid, yeah. Convictions can also be positive, like Matthew 6, 6. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, these are not bad things. Uh, But, yeah, you you could have a a conviction about some very good things like that. We need to be in prayer. Uh, The Bible might not say, well, it does teach us to pray, but that might even be more of a doctrine. But... And then th- this topic of tradition is really the third level of conviction. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, this can, can kind of be a funny thing because we all maybe have, we're coming up on the holiday season. You, you might have a lot of traditions around Christmas. I remember the story of the little girl who asked Grandma, you know, why, why do we always... Uh, use this certain pan to cook our Christmas ham, so, and and so the uh, well the grandma or the little grandchild asked her mom, mom, why do we use this certain pan every Christmas? This is our tradition. We have to cook ham in this certain pan, and she's like, I don't know, honey. Ask grandma. And so she asked grandma, and grandma said, well. When we were little kids, this was the only pan we had, and. Uh, e- and so we had to cut the ham to make it fit in this pan. And so it was like the only pan they had, but it became a tradition that that's, that's what we have to use now. To, and there's, there is traditions of men in the Bible. Uh, there's some uh, ceremonial washing. And, you know, um, the Pharisees began to teach that it was a sin not to wash your hands before you ate. And so Jesus kind of condemns that for the traditions of men because they began teaching tradition as doctrine, right? And there there might be an oral tradition passed down for generations. It might be a good practice, but it, it wasn't really sinful not to not to wash your hands, right? So that those are just uh, things. And then and then really the the fourth level is just kind of indifference. Uh, and so you you could probably think of your things that you're indifferent about. Um, I, I think I just I put uh, things like the color of paint. Like it doesn't really matter to me what color the paint is, or um, 
I guess maybe if it was bright pink or something, I might not like it. But uh, there's things that we're all kind of indifferent about. Yeah, you could, we could take it or leave it. If we go to Taco Bell or we go to Qdoba or, you know, um, Chipotle, those are similar, right? <laughs> a meat is loud. She might have a she might have a she might have a preference where she eats her uh, Mexican food at. But uh, any other thoughts as we as we talk about these different levels of belief? Because Bildad kind of begins expressing to Job, you know, uh, some things about. Uh, some traditional thing. He he thinks they should practice things from a former age. The only thing I can think of, I think it's important to, because um, I ran into a problem this week with a person on some doctrine, mm-hmm. is that we 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 all have these things, but we need to be teachable and to be willing to give up on any of these if it's proven in the Word of God, if it can be pointed out. That's a good t- yeah, that's that's it's kind of humble. You kind of have to eat some humble pie sometimes, don't you? Sometimes we do, yeah. And we have to be willing to do that huh. and, be, and remain teachable. Yeah. Instead of building a wall, you know. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I have convictions about stuff that other people don't, and when mm-hmm. I was a young Christian, you know, that was a an issue. Yeah. You know? and, but but now as I've gotten older, I try to not let it build a wall. Yeah. Be more gracious and be more gracious. You know, God hadn't convicted him of that. Right, right. No, that's very good. And any other thoughts you guys are thinking while we're? <clears throat> I mean, there there may be some other things we could talk about, but um, we actually went to. Uh, we're, talk- we're talking about Bildad the Shuhite here. We did kind of a scouting report on him. And his names mean uh, confusing love by mingling. So, And that that's probably suits him pretty good. And another name I saw that Bildad means son of contention. So he, he had uh, kind of a confusing message at times and some points of contention. And then uh, it says he was a Shuhite. And uh, there's a man named Shua that was the son of Abraham by uh, his second wife, Keturah. And so that's found there in uh, Genesis 25-2. And then Bildad was likely the second eldest, basically because he was the second one to speak. So anyway, that's a little bit about Bildad. And we find that he begins talking in Job chapter 8 that we're going to look at today. But before we do, uh, just a second here. I think I had you guys turn to Matthew, didn't I? Well, hold your place there and let's go to Job. I want to talk through the first eight verses of Job 8 first, or the first seven verses. So yeah, let's all go to Job chapter eight. I got to get there myself. All right. And so, uh, Chuck, just to kind of catch you up to speed, my friend, um, Job has been uh, really lost everything, and he is kind of a target of the devil Uh, so him and God have some uh, conversation and God challenges the devil to consider my servant Job that there's none like him he's upright he fears God he hates evil and he's perfect in his ways and uh, so Job essentially uh, uh, allows the enemies to take his uh, lands and all his possessions. His uh, the devil causes a strong wind that breaks the house that his children are in. He loses ten children in one day, and so he's just had a lot of calamity. 
And still, Job doesn't curse God. In fact, he worships the Lord. And then uh, again, God and the devil talk. And the devil says, "Well, God, if you just you know take away his health, he'll curse you." And so God, God says, "Okay, devil, you can uh, afflict uh, my servant Job, but don't kill him." And so the devil actually causes boils to be on his skin, and and uh, so he has. And his wife even tells him to curse God and die. And so he, when we see him in Job chapter uh, 3, he, he's scraping his wounds with uh, like broken pottery. And so he's got oozing sores and he's lost everything. So he's this miserable, suffering man. And he has uh, three friends come to him and his friends begin to counsel him. And they think he has sin in his life. And so that's kind of uh, Bildad is his second friend that begins talking to him here in chapter 8. So let, let's read, uh, and I think my teaching point there, tradition is not necessarily wrong, and different is not necessarily wrong, so wrong is wrong. So that, that's why we start out with this. So just, just the word wrong, if something's wrong, it's wrong. And... Uh, that that's kind of how we base uh, our levels of belief. So that was kind of this first section. But uh, somebody read verses one and two for us. Uh, let's start with Suzanne. Then answered Bilbad the Shemarite and said, How long wilt thou speak these things? How long shall thou words of thy mouth be like a strong wind? Yeah, so he's basically saying, you know, you're full of hot air, Job. You're, the things you're, the words you're talking are just like strong wind. And uh, I gave you some examples here on your handout that uh, Job spoke to Eliphaz about uh, his words being like wind, and Job uh, said his life was like wind in chapter seven. And right here, uh, Job's words are like strong wind. And then Eliphaz even speaks to Job's words being like an east wind, and that's representative of you know heat and drought. And then Job states that the wicked and the rich are like stubble and chaff before the wind. And then Job also states that terrors pursue his soul as the wind, and that God destroys his substance by the wind. And so wind is often used in the Bible and it's kind of a back and forth but he says here in verse 3 uh, Pam why don't you read verse 3 for us doth God pervert judgment doth the Almighty pervert justice and what's the answer to that Pam huh no, we do. God right yeah it's kind of rhetorical isn't it so he's kind of stating the obvious God does not pervert judgment and or justice and uh, you see that a lot of times in the Bible, this kind of swing of, of judgment and justice. And, you know, we, we like to think of God as being loving and gracious and merciful, and He is. And we, we don't like maybe God to view God as judgmental or justice or holy or righteous, right? But, but He's both, isn't He? And, and and we have to have that balanced approach. I mean, <clears throat> if a judge lets a murderer go free, that's not fair. That's, that's not just, is it? And so uh, he's not a good judge. If you, but, so God is a good judge. And so he poured out his punishment on Christ for our behalf. And so th- this is uh, very... It should be encouraging, but it's awful. Also, I read in I read in Leviticus this morning that we should fear our mother and father, and we don't think about that. But really, our earthly father. We talked about this at our men's retreat that that they're representative of God the Father. Even our earthly father, there's the special thing of men. I mean, that's kind of why we have our men's conference to help. You know, bolster and encourage men to be men and to be more godly in our lives with our marriages and with our children. And uh, anyway, just in Leviticus 19, it says that we should fear our mother and father. 
and uh, really it's because they ha- they have a certain amount of judgment and rule over you and it's not fearful like we're you know we shaking in our shoe but uh, just the the power that uh, God the Father has we need to be fearful of him and so uh, again just kind of the right view of, of God the Father's reference here <clears throat> well it's like being fearful of disappointing them I feel like that's what yeah. with my dad. I was never afraid of him that he would hurt me or anything like that, but I did not want to disappoint him. Yeah. Ever. I mean, that's, that's I good. Was, you know, little. Yeah, well, Sarah was like that with me. I didn't have to swat her as much as I did Luke just because she, you just yeah. let her know you're disappointed, you know, and she just boo hoo about it. So, uh,. So, uh, re- Emma, would you read verse 4 for us? If thy children have sinned against him, and he hath passed them away for their transgressions. Yeah, uh... So his assessment of God was right, but then he goes on to imply that, Job, your children have sinned. That's why God killed them. And so he kind of gets the wrong conclusion, doesn't he? He has the right assumption, you know, God is just. He doesn't pervert judgment. But he's basically saying, Job, you're reaping what you've sown. And uh, turn back a page or two to Job chapter 1. And verse 5, uh, why don't you read that as well, 1 5. <laughs> Pages sticking together. Uh. And it was so when the days of Yeah, so Job really didn't know. He was a good father. He he didn't know that his sons were involved in any sin. But it, it, just, it may be that they've got sin in their heart. So he was offering up offerings and sacrifices for them. And so I just had you put the word hearts in your next blank. Does that work, Steve? Yeah. Can you offer up sacrifices for something someone else did? What do you think? In the New Testament, we offer up prayers. Yeah. In the Old Testament, yeah, they would do animals for yeah lots of people, right? Well, it was really for their own, wasn't it? Didn't the priests for the, do for the nation? I mean, they did for others. But to answer, I mean, I don't think we can for. No, I mean, go. Is what he was doing? Hmm. Did that make them okay with God because hmm. Job offered this sacrifice? Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe Maybe they will pray for our kids whether or not they yeah, do. They, 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 I think the Old Testament did because they followed different rules. Yeah. In the New, the New Testament, we can't change anybody's heart. Hmm. We can pray that they change. Hmm. Yeah. Because the priest did it for the nations and the people. Well, that's true. That's well, true. I think it's like a picture. You know, that points to prayer, but but the the real sacrifice is that picture of Christ. Hmm. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good. I always wondered about that too. How that? Hey, turn turn to Hebrews thirteen. This might help a little bit. This is in. Uh, yeah, thirteen fifteen. We don't think of it quite like this. Uh, in fact, Pam, why don't you read that when you get there? By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, 
the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. So it mentions that praising and sacrifice is it's a uh, it's the fruit of our lips. It's a sacrifice. I mean, maybe that's why we don't pray and praise and worship more. It's, it's a little bit of a sacrifice. We're giving up of our time to attribute. So, in, in a way, but yeah, I don't know. That really doesn't answer. Well, I think in that dispensation, I mean, the, the shedding of blood was the, the temporary covering of sin. Mm-hmm. Whether Job did it for the kids, the priest did it for the nations, you know, the scapegoat, there were. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point, Pam. He's saying about the scapegoat, it was the priest would lay hands on it and let it loose, and it would symbolically carry the burden of the of the sins of others. Yeah, I don't think it's such a thing that Job was doing it. I mean, it was still being covered by the blood. Nope. Good. Good question. Good. Good comments. And. uh, Pat, you'll like this. Uh, go go to eight five, because I asked this question here before, and and I was wrong on it. And you and Pam said the right answer. Uh, uh, Pat, why don't you read eight five? Eight five. Uh, if thou were to seek unto God betimes uh, and make supplication to the Almighty. And so basically, he's saying, Job, if if you just prayed more. And uh, go to God be time. I think that was my question. I thought the word be times meant multiple times, like chasing your son be times. But it had to do with uh, I put in your hand out there, uh, seeking God early or uh, before it's too late was kind of the what the word be times meant. So I I, I looked up that word this week and. Uh, Got some clarity on it myself, but so anyway, we, we don't know that Job was not uh, necessarily praying. In fact, uh, read, read verse six also, Pat. It, it goes with that. Uh, it says, "If thou were pure and upright, surely now he would await for thee and make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous." Yeah, so again, he's kind of assuming that Job is not upright, and if you just pray more, and that's not necessarily the answer here. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe Job wasn't praying like he should, but he was uh, worshiping the Lord. He didn't sin against God. And uh, in fact, verse uh, 7, the last part of this section, Bildad says, Though thy beginning was small, yet thy latter end should greatly increase. And that is actually what happens to Job. His latter end does increase, but it's not really because of what Bildad is, is saying. He, he's saying if you just pray more, maybe God would bless you and and increase your latter days, even though you're, you've lost everything now. And so my, my teaching point here is just that jumping to conclusions can be a bad exercise. And so Job was, or Bildad was jumping to the conclusion, just like the, his friend Eliaphaz said before, just that there was sin in his life, God is judging you, God is judgment, he's just, or else this wouldn't be happening, but they needed to consider other options. So now what he says, he mentions this uh, former age. So, uh, Dave or Shannon, would you guys read? We're here in, uh, or just just verse eight. Uh, if one of you guys want to read eight eight. For inquire, I pray thee, of the former age, and prepare thyself for the search of their fathers. Yeah. So let me see if I can get this up. I know most of you guys have seen this uh, longevity chart that I I got um, gosh you probably can't see that too good can you I'm trying to show here that Job he lived around 240 years of age and so his his friend Bildad is saying inquire of the former age and uh You can see some of the people that Job was contemporary with. Uh, It looks like 
and again this is probably not exact but it's probably pretty close he he was you know born shortly after Abraham died he probably lived during the time of Abraham's son Isaac but uh, so so this is where we get the idea that Bildad is teaching some tradition. He's like, you know, go back and talk to people of the former age and, and think about this. Uh, Shem here, uh, this is kind of tracing the genealogy of the Hebrew people. And I think we learned that uh, Eber is where the word Hebrew comes from. There was actually a man named Eber, and he was a forefather of Abraham. Uh, but uh, Bildad is saying, talk to the former age. And uh, what I believe he's saying is, you know, he's saying, think about people before the flood. They were unrighteous and God judged them with a flood. So he's, he's making a pretty good point here that uh, those people didn't get away with their sin. God wiped them all out except for Noah and his uh, three boys and their wives. Uh, there's Noah but you can see that you know Job at least could have talked to people that knew Shem and Shem lived before the flood so it's really a kind of a wild thought to, you know they, they could speak to dinosaurs they could speak to how the world was before what the flood was like I mean there's I was gonna I didn't have room in this handout but there's eight or ten references to the flood in the book of Job and this is a very key. So, in, in this, well, let's let's do this. Let's do what I wanted to do at the beginning. Now go to Matthew 24. So hold your place here, and uh, go to Matthew 24. <clears throat> and verse three, because there's. Matthew 24, 3. And uh, Dave or Jim, Dave, do you have it? You want to read 24, 3? And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, what shall these things be? And what shall be the signs of thy coming and the end of the world? Yeah, so he asked these three signs, and then at the end. And this was actually a mistake. I should have left those levels of belief up here because what what we were taught growing up in church, uh, the end of the world really meant, you know, when the Lord comes again. So there'll just be a final judgment. And that's a little bit uh, the way the Jews believe, I think. But uh, hold hold your place there and and look at... uh, Ephesians 3, this will be, maybe it's 2. Hopefully this will make sense here whenever I get to my point. It's, uh, well, it says it in 3, but hold on here a second. Let's just go to 2. So go to Ephesians 2 and verse 7 here. Ephesians 2, 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And and my point here is that uh, this word world is translated ages it's the same it's the same Hebrew word and so so whenever whenever uh, Bildad says Job you should consider the former age and consider it, it even mentions fathers he's not talking about uh, fathers of the church he's not talking about Abraham Isaac and Jacob he's he's talking about like fathers of the the human race the these uh you know Adam and Eve um uh all these I think there's Noah is like the 10th generation 
and he lived uh, almost well he lived <clears throat> yeah he lived 600 years before the flood and several years after the flood so he lived 950 years but um, anyway so I, I guess I just think of dispensations you know you know Adam and Eve in the garden and uh, when they sinned that was the end of that age the age of innocence and it ushered in this age of conscience and then at the flood that was the end of that dispensation and it enters this age of promise that uh, Abraham and, and Job live in so uh, any thoughts about that whatever if I go back to Job 8 if you got your place anyway I've thought a lot about that this week but in Job 8 and verse 8 it says for, for inquire I pray thee of the former age and prepare thyself to the search of their fathers the, the fathers of this former age meaning uh, the ones before the flood and then he even says in verse 9, For we are but of yesterday, and knoweth no, know nothing, because our days are upon earth are a shadow. And so he's saying, you know, those people lived 900 some years. The, the lifespan is short. It's like we haven't lived near as long as these people. Our days are but as yesterday. And so, uh, so what I had you put in your blank was just the word flood. <clears throat> And uh, that'll that'll come up again several times here in the book of Job. <clears throat> and so now to the back page of your hand. Any any other thoughts about that? This this former age. Uh, it helps us understand just historically, and that, and that's why I said tradition is not necessarily wrong. Uh, and in fact, Job really doesn't argue this point with Bildad. He He's like, you know, that's a good point. Uh, it would be good to go back to learn from the fathers of the former age. So, anyway, letter letter B at the top of your back page, <clears throat> verse nine. Who who wants to read that? I say I just read that, didn't I? I said Bildad references uh, that they are pretty new on the earth, but of yesterday, and our day upon the earth are as a shadow. Compared to the long life of the that the fathers lived, and then uh, verse ten, uh, Chuck, do you do you care to read verse ten, eight, ten? Shall not they teach thee and tell thee in utter words out of their heart? Yeah, and so yeah, you're right, Bill. Dad, they those fathers could teach us, and uh, the words out of their heart would uh, probably be right on. They, they know some stuff that we may not. You know, I work with a lot of Indians. I mean, that's, I know you know this too, that the Eastern cultures, you know, reverence the, the elderly and their ancestors. Yeah. That we do in America. Yeah. Because I hear that kind of stuff a lot from my Indian friends. Is that really? My dad does this, he said this. They really honor and huh. reverence. Yeah. yeah. It's not a bad thing, is it? No, it's a very good thing. And, and yeah. Something I wish we would did more of. Like the thought of putting, like his mother's in India, and the thought of putting her in a nursing home would never, you know, come to his mind. Cause to them, family takes care of hmm. the parents, and I know the Asians are that way. And even in uh, Hispanic culture, I think yeah. family and uh, you know. Even when we went to Costa Rica, that was the first mission trip I went on. It was just odd to me. You just seen large groups of people on the front lawns and porches just in the evening. You know, family families lived together. They it was just so integral. I mean, we we shut the door, shut the garage doors, and turn on the TV. And but that's not that way in other cultures. Uh, even when I was growing up, I mean, it seemed like family reunions were popular, and yeah. they're not. It's pretty hard to get everybody together, and life's just a little different now. But yeah, no, that's good point. Uh, verse 11 and 12. Uh, let, Angie, what, what, do you read those? 
Can the rush grow up without mire? Can the flag grow without water? Whilst it is yet in his greenness and not cut down, it withereth before any other herb. And uh, the, the answer is no. The, the rush can't grow up without the mire and this flag cannot grow without water. And he's kind of implying uh, it's just like people who neglect, you know, good tradition and the voice of the forefathers. They would uh, dwindle. They'd be, Job, you're like the rush and the flag that doesn't have water. And so my teaching point here is, is just that Job did not debate Bildad's speech about the former age. <clears throat> um, all right, now verses 13 through 18, there's there's some kind of meaty things in here and some things I don't totally understand. Uh, Jim, would you read 13 for us? Sure. So are the paths of all that forget God and the hypocrite's hope shall perish. Uh, one more. Whose hope shall be cut off and whose trust shall be a spider's web. Now, now I didn't think about this as much. Uh, I got this out of uh, Jeff Adams' book. He, he references that like the ultimate hypocrite is the Antichrist. I mean, so this is generally true about hypocrites that you know you're not living uh, like. But I mean, uh, ultimately, the 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 Antichrist poses himself to be God, and he's actually the opposite of God, and so he's like the ultimate hypocrite. And so, do, do you guys remember uh, the three things that we said that Job is a picture of in in this book? The the first, the obvious, I think, is this that. He's a type of the Jew in the tribulation, right? He is, you know, his name means one persecuted. He goes through these uh, seven days with his friends. Just like uh, there's seven years in the tribulation. There, there's a lot of references that would make us think, but what were the other two that he was a type of? Do you guys remember? Because this was a little bit new to, to me too. So we said a type is like something that represents something else. Like we had a type, we used to have a typewriter. It's a figure. Did you say he was a type of Christ? He's a type of Christ on the cross because he he talks about he's a worm and he just suffers. And so so he's a type of the the Jew in the tribulation, a type of Christ on the cross. And there, there's some reference to him being a type of a lost man in hell. And so these, these are all a little bit integral. But uh, there's even a reference here to the Antichrist. And this is not saying that Job is the Antichrist. But it's uh, hopefully we'll see that here in just a little bit. I gave you a reference from Proverbs there. The hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. <clears throat> and it mentions this spider web here uh, about the hope of it. So it would be like, you know, as cool as a spider web is, you couldn't put your weight on it. It wouldn't hold you, right? And so that's, that's kind of what uh, you can't, hope that a spider's web would hold you neither uh, will your house Job in other words your descendants are cut off because your children are dead and part of the reason this is a reference to the Antichrist you know uh, I mean I've known people who um they're like the last person in in their family with their last name, and so they don't have a hope that, like my last name is Fleshman, and we have a son and and we have grandson, so the the Fleshman name will live on for a little while anyway. But uh, anyway, this is saying like the hypocrite, the, his hope will be cut. There's no hope of his, you know. Uh, I don't know if Job even had a last name or if Job was his last name. He just went by Job, I guess. Yeah, but Yeah. <laughs> kind of like that. <laughs> Only different. 
<laughs> but with, with, with all his children dead, there, there's no his expectation is cut off, right? There's there's no more Jobs in that line, and and so having said that, look, there's a prophecy here about the Antichrist and his posterity pros- is cut off. It's in uh, Psalm, but it's also in Acts. Let's look at Acts 15, or no, Acts 1, verse 15. I don't know if you ever picked up on this, but several times in the Gospels, it mentions the phrase, the twelve. And the twelve is very important and whenever Judas went out and hung himself uh, Peter and the apostles knew instantly we got to replace him there has to be a replacement for Judas because there has to be 12 and it's really interesting because you know Paul said he is one born out of due seed. So he's like a 13th apostle, but he's clearly the apostle to the Gentile. So this 12, the importance of being 12 apostles for these 12 tribes of Israel, I mean, it's very important for the upcoming millennium. But let's read 15 through 20 of Acts chapter 1. And verse 15 says, And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said the number of names together were about 120. So there's 120 people in this upper room after the Lord's uh, death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, Verse 16, Men and brethren, the scripture must needs have been fulfilled which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, that's a Judas Iscariot, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered, that's important, he was numbered with us, he was one of the twelve, and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with a reward of iniquity, that was those 30 pieces of silver, and falling headlong he burst asunder in the mist and his, all his bowels gushed out, gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, Acladema, that is to say the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. So another apostle had to be appointed, but his habitation was desolate. So uh, Judas didn't didn't have children. There was no poster, pros, uh, posterity. posterity. It's hard for me to say that one. So... Again, that's that's what this hypocrite's hope is like back in uh, and uh, uh, Jesus actually called Judas the son of perdition and so he is at least a type of the Antichrist if not the Antichrist himself this Judas and uh, so he he uh, or someone like him is going to come on the scene again one of these days. Alright. Then it says back in Job 8. We'll go back to Job 8. And uh, Jim, I think you read. Uh, I think everybody's read. Suzanne, you want to read 16 and 17 for us? He is green before the sun, and his branches shoot forth in, the, in his garden. His roots are wrapped, wrapped about the heat. And yeah, so there's two or three things here. I don't know if I had us read verse 15. He shall lean upon his house, but it shall not stand. He shall hold it fast, but it shall not endure. We kind of talked about that, like being like Judas, that his house was desolate. But it mentions he is green before the sun, and his. So all this is is pretty poetic and and deep, and I don't fully understand all of it. But uh, we do know that 
men are like trees. It says that uh, multiple times. In fact, I always when I when I first got saved and I started hearing some of this stuff, I thought, wow, it's like God hides some obvious things in the uh, you know out in the open. Like you know, we have limbs and we have a trunk. And we, we talk about our family having roots. And we have a family tree. And so when the Bible talks about men as trees, I just kind of think, duh, duh, you know, it's obvious. And so it's saying this thing about him, this green. And if, if you tra- trace even that word green, it's pretty uh, interesting. I looked at some references to that this week, and I gave you some of them on your handout. And uh, also, this this thing about branch. I mean, Christ is prophesied as a branch uh, shooting forth. In verse 17, it, Suzanne read his his roots, and Christ is uh, you know the the root of Jesse and the offspring of David. And, and but then it even mentions about these uh, place of the stones. That was. That was kind of one of the the most interesting things I was reading. And uh, look look at your handout for a minute. In I had verse seventeen and eighteen, the place of stones. Even in the book of Job, it, it referenced the stones of darkness. And in Job forty one, it mentions uh, sharp stones are under him. That's a reference to the, the devil and Le- Leviathan. And Isaiah mentions these stones of emptiness. And Ezekiel mentions stones of fire. And that was representative of, of the, the prince of Tyre. And it was a picture of, of the, the, the devil. And, uh, and then I thought even in the New Testament, it talks about Christians being like precious stones and even lively stones. So... Uh, I think you know in life men are like trees, but in the afterlife there, there's reference to being this stone. And I feel like the 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 devil and the lost uh, are representative of these stones of fire. It's a picture of hell, isn't it? And uh, anyway, stones are really interesting, and I just think wow that the whole earth has got a lot of stones on it. And so, anyway, I gave you some references there. I, I don't know what to do with all that, but if you have thoughts, uh, please share. But I think there's references to stones being in hell, like stones of fire. And, uh, you know, when, when we get to heaven, that the foundations of the New Jerusalem are each level is a stone, and the, the gates are made of pure pearl. Uh, they're, the temple's made of yeah yeah and, and we're made like stone in the temple in the yeah like those lively stones yeah, well, yeah when you think of lively stones I think bricklayers and masonries even have I think stones have a certain amount of moisture content in them and those are ones called lively stones so there's anyway some of it goes beyond my understanding but Anyway, it's neat that he brings these up. And my teaching point here is just that Satan prompts Job's friends to say words. The words are, they're wanting to incite him to curse God. That's what the devil's wanting to do. Yet God uses these words to bring forth great truth for us, or truths. So that was my teaching point there. And uh, anyway, I, I do challenge you to look up some of those. Even uh, even that word "green" was just really it, it, it's connected with the Antichrist, and the branch is more connected with Christ, I think. And anyway, yeah, a lot of these keywords are because you know, like like even the net starting with the web you know the antichrist has said he's going to cast a net and catch people in uh. and then in judges 9 there's that whole thing about all the trees and 
and uh, yeah, yeah. trees and how the Antichrist is going to be a tree and then the, and the black birds are going to find the home and you know, make the mess in his tree that he's going to provide to yeah. build this world system that's that around. Daniel Yeah. and then it's destroyed by this stone yeah, like all these verses here hint at things that we, we do know about the Antichrist but it is a pretty cool passage yeah well it was difficult uh, trying to make sense of it so hopefully I communicated it in such a way that it will prompt us all to maybe study or, or learn more and then his, his final discussion here uh, Pam why don't you read you're our birthday girl uh, why don't you read 19 through the end of the chapter behold this is a day Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the earth shall others grow. Behold, God will not cast away a perfect man, neither will he help the evil doer. Tell he filleth thy mouth with laughing, and thy lips with rejoicing. They that hate thee shall be clothed with shame, and the dwelling place of the wicked shall come to naught. Thank you. And so in verse 19, that uh, others are going to grow out of the uh, earth. I looked at that as kind of a wrong, wrong form of, of uh, discipleship. So th- this is like the joy of, of his way, the, the devil's way, the Antichrist way. And others are going to, that's kind of the wrong kind of discipleship. Uh, his reasoning is that Job was cast away because of... Uh, sin, it said in verse 20 uh, that God won't cast away a perfect man, but in, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, God calls Job uh, perfect and upright. And uh, verse 21 there, that Job's mouth is filled with laughter and rejoicing. Uh, and then uh, the thing I keyed on here in, in verse 22. It says that they they that hate thee shall be clothed with shame, uh, and the dwelling place of the wicked shall come to naught. And uh, hold your place there and look at uh, Proverbs 24, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Go to Psalm 24 because it kind of defines what a dwelling place is. Proverbs 24. And 15. It says, uh, give me your last blank here. It says uh, 24, what did I say, 15. Lay not wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous, spoil not his resting place. And so the, I just put the word resting. The, uh, you know, when, when we go to home, where, where we call home, that should be our resting place, a place of rest. And uh, I cross-reference that, that uh, Job, it says that he, dwe- he was a righteous man dwelling among the wicked, and it vexed him daily. And so our, our dwelling place should be a place of rest, but if we're dwelling among wicked people, then it will vex us. I just thought that was that was kind of my final point here. My teaching point is the righteous dwelling with the wicked will be vexed, and that's in Second Peter. So anyway, I kind of keyed on that, tried to give us some practical things for us today from the Book of Job, and uh, there's a lot of truth cast around here. And uh, some of it missed its mark with Job, but hopefully we can uh, learn from it and be better for it. Any any other thoughts? Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, we talk about types, but one of the best types for us is that it's a type of us as Christians going through this world that God uses the trials and the things of this because we all have sin, we all have... Mm-hmm. You know, presumptions and misconceptions and uh, 
things that were off in doctrine, you know, and, and God has to purify us yeah. to make us more like Christ. So we do see a lot of that. that that's what we go through so that we can be perfected. So that yeah. we can be perfect. Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah. I, I know just Angie and I coming from our background. I mean, Jim, you said earlier about you know we need to remain teachable and you know we we had to relearn some things. So it is a matter of having our hearts right. And so when we do suffer, um, that we seek the Lord in those things because that's the thesis of the whole thing is to we can trust the Lord even when we're suffering. And uh, anyway, anything else? Well, Dave, why don't you dismiss us in prayer? We are right on time, and I'll shut this off. Thank you for joining us on Facebook. And uh, we got several people here today, so that's good. Thanks for coming, Chuck.